knowledge, wealth, and constructors. These are reflections on some excerpts from the philosophy of constructor theory published in 2013 by David Deutsch in the epistemology journal Synthese. Knowledge is an abstract catalyst or a constructor that transforms physical reality. It turns our imaginings into tangibles. Knowledge builds over time. Objective improvements are made everywhere. Everywhere. But science is the most obvious case in point. The predictions that one theory in physics makes, like Newtonian physics, can be improved by a new successor theory, like quantum theory or relativity. Newton's theory of gravity could in principle be used for a GPS system, but the accuracy would be on the level of to the nearest few hundred meters or so, something like that. GPS programmed with general relativity is capable of a resolution or accuracy of millimeters. But whatever the kind of knowledge, and there are two basic kinds, explanatory and genetic, it is rather often the case that predictions, even in principle, cannot be made, and the theory will tell us why. Darwinism, for example, explains why we cannot predict what kind of creatures will evolve because the process is blind. The mutations are as random as anything can in this universe be random. Literally, cosmic rays from the other side of the universe can come crashing through the atmosphere, striking DNA, causing a germline genetic code mutation, and this can be the cause of some radical change to an organism leading to a new species. That cosmic ray causing just that change cannot possibly have been predicted by any of our knowledge and law here on Earth. When it comes to much of the output of human beings who literally create explanations and make choices based on those explanations, choices that could not otherwise have been made unless those explanations had been created, this whole process can itself not be predicted. The content of future theories cannot be predicted. Therefore, choices made on the basis of those theories themselves could not have been predicted ahead of time. We cannot know the content of theories yet to be thought, and so we cannot possibly make predictions about the future state of the world, when that future state will depend upon theories no one's thought of yet, but they will. As David Deutsch has observed, it wasn't just that people in the 1800s weren't able to predict the possibility of nuclear holocaust in the 20th century because it's an intractably complex problem, but rather they couldn't even conceive of what nuclear weapons were because nuclear physics was entirely unknown then. So people today making predictions about what disaster will or will not befall people in the coming century are in the same place as the brightest minds of the early enlightenment were with respect to us today. They simply cannot conceive of what knowledge we would have. They, the people of the early enlightenment, geniuses though they were, could not conceive of what knowledge we would have now. So any prediction they tried to make back then about what the world would be like now was based on the physics and science and philosophy of the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. None of which even mentioned, for example, nuclear fission and fusion. What will we discover this century to completely change the calculus of our modern day prophets. But besides, knowledge is not only about predictions anyway, as we have said, that's the rare exception. The whole way of framing our situation with respect to knowledge as being merely an instrument for predicting what will happen in the future completely misses the point. Better theories explain more about what really exists. From general relativity, we get 
curved space-time. We get black holes and gravitational waves. We get an expanding universe. None of these things are at all even mentioned under Newtonian gravity. Better theories tell us more about what actually exists and what the causal relationships between them are, and they tell us what is possible and impossible. In other words, they rule out more. And all of that has, as a kind of byproduct, some of the time, like for example in physics and the physical sciences more broadly, it allows sometimes for predictions to be made. Those predictions can be tested against reality. This capacity for our claims about physical reality to be tested itself is embedded as a governing principle into physical reality. But testing is not straightforward or trivial, which is to say that when there is disagreement between an observational test and a theory, we don't just throw out the theory. The test itself could always be flawed. As David Deutsch writes in The Philosophy of Constructor Theory, quote, tests always depend on background knowledge, assumptions about other laws and how measuring instruments work. That's from Popper, 1963. Logically, should any theory fail a test, one always has the option of retaining it by denying one of those assumptions. Indeed, this has been used as a critique of the very idea of testability. For example, Putnam, 1974. But scientific theories are not merely predictions. They are primarily explanations. Claims about what is there in the physical world and how it behaves. And the negation of an explanation is not an explanation. So a claim such as, there could be an undetected particle carrying off energy, is not a scientific theory. Nor is, perhaps energy is not conserved. Those are research proposals, not explanations. Consequently, the methodology of science includes the rule that any proposal to modify a background knowledge assumption must itself be a good explanation." End quote. So raising objections to good explanations does not mean you've created a new theory. You might be raising reasonable, or less reasonable, critiques, but the denial of a good explanation is, as David says there, not itself a good explanation. And good explanations are what we are striving to improve. That is what knowledge creation by people is primarily about. Knowledge is the most cosmically significant entity in all of physical reality when looked at over the long run. As David also writes, and later in the same paper, under the subheading knowledge, quote, the most important kind of abstract constructor is knowledge. Knowledge is information which, once it is physically instantiated in a suitable environment, tends to cause itself to remain so. It survives criticism, testing, random noise and error correction. Here I am adopting Popper's 1972 conception of knowledge, in which there need be no knowing subject. For example, the knowledge encoded in an organism's DNA consists of abstract genes that cause the environment to transform raw materials into another instance of the organism, and thereby to keep those abstract genes and not mutations or other variants of them physically instantiated, despite the mutation and natural selection that keep happening. Similarly, the ideas constituting the abstract constructor for preserving the ship of Theseus would have had to include not only some relatively arbitrary information about the historical shape of the ship, but also knowledge of how to cause Athenians to preserve those ideas themselves through the generations and to reject rival ideas. Now, consider again the set of all physically possible transformations. For almost every such transformation, the story of how it could happen is the story of how knowledge might be created and applied to cause it. 
Part of that story is, in almost all cases, the story of how people, intelligent beings, would create that knowledge and of why they would retain the proposal to apply it in that way while rejecting or amending rival proposals. So a significant determinant is moral knowledge. Hence, from the constructor-theoretic perspective, physics is almost entirely the theory of the effects that knowledge, abstract constructors, can have on the physical world via people. But again, the prevailing conception conceals this end quote. That's the prevailing conception both of physics and of knowledge, of this entire way of viewing the world, and indeed the prevailing view of morality for what it's worth. And David says they're via people, but it's not about people when it comes to knowledge. Knowledge is created by people, but it's not about them in the main, which is to say, David is not mentioning psychological states like certainty or belief in his constructor-theoretic conception of knowledge, which extends what Popper already had in mind. That conception of knowledge, yes, says that people are far more significant in the universe than any other conception says, perhaps even more significant than religious conceptions say, and certainly more significant than any justified belief conception of knowledge would lead us to think. By the way, I say more significant even than what the religious people think, because the conception we get from the beginning of infinity and the work of David Deutsch is that people become increasingly more powerful and gain more and more control over the universe, becoming like gods themselves. This is completely different to the conception you get from religion, where in most religions, People are, yes, important to the cosmic scheme of things, but not so important that they can become like God. But we are saying that people can asymptotically approach the omnipotence of God. We can gain more and more control. We cannot gain complete control, but at least we can gain ever more power. Something denied to us, supposedly, by the existing conceptions, be they religious or rational. Certainly under this view, we are way more significant than the justified belief conception of knowledge would have us think about knowledge. Knowledge is not just about the contents of human minds. It's the thing that transforms the world. But we do need more than just knowledge to do the transforming. We also need resources. And knowledge and resources together gives us wealth. And even wealth is not primarily about people. As David goes on to write, quote, wealth. In constructor theory, it is natural to define wealth as an entity in a non-anthropocentric way, as the set of transformations that the entity would be capable of performing without generating new knowledge. Wealth has always consisted fundamentally of knowledge, even though it has been limited by the capacity of relatively fixed installations for harnessing naturally occurring resources. Once universal constructors exist, it will consist almost entirely of knowledge." End quote. That's a powerful statement. If, when, we have the universal constructor, then resources will be cheap because they are ubiquitous. We just need matter, and matter is everywhere. Even in empty space, you find hydrogen. And the universal constructor could transform that into anything that you like. Therefore, the only thing slowing down progress at that point is simply knowing how. The knowledge, the program in order to instruct the universal constructor to construct whatever it is that you want. Knowledge is therefore at the heart of constructor theory. It's no accident that throughout this paper on the philosophy of constructor theory, 
knowledge plays this central role. Indeed, David concludes his entire paper with the word knowledge. I recommend people read the entire thing, but let me go straight to the conclusion and read that. It's only brief. And there David writes as his conclusion, quote, the principles of constructor theory that I have proposed may be false. For instance, the composition principle in the form stated in section 1.2 may only be an approximation. But if the idea as a whole is false, something else will have to remedy the deficiencies of the prevailing conception. The prevailing conception being dynamical laws and initial conditions of physics. David goes on. Something else will unify emergent level laws such as the Turing principle and the principle of testability with the other laws of nature. Something else will provide an exact statement of the second law of thermodynamics and a full statement of the content of conservation laws. A different approach will generalize the theory of computation and von Neumann's constructor theory and support laws about substrate independent quantities such as information and incorporate into fundamental physics the fact that the most significant quantity affecting whether physical transformations happen or not is knowledge." End quote. End of the paper. What determines whether physical transformations happen or not is knowledge, fundamentally. It's the most significant thing. Knowledge. Knowledge is information that gets copied. It solves a problem and so it's useful. In other words, Knowledge is information with causal power. A lot of information is useless, it gets discarded. But the stuff that is written down and copied over and again, that's the stuff we say we know and do not forget about. Increasingly, the most significant kind of knowledge is explanatory. An explanation is a hard to vary account of what exists, what it does, how and why. It solves some problem with knowledge that existed before it was created and serves as a solution. In doing so, it goes on to solve other problems the creator of the knowledge never dreamed of. This is called reach. Likely Einstein never thought of the GPS system as we know it today, and yet here we are using it every day whenever we open Google Maps. Knowledge is an abstract catalyst of a kind. It is information that solves a problem and so has causal power. It changes or transforms the world around us. It is substrate independent like many abstract things. This means it can be represented in various physical forms while being identical to none of them. What I am doing right now at this very moment is communicating to you knowledge about knowledge that we call epistemology. And to me, this is neurons firing in my brain and ideas in my mind. Those are two levels of emergence that talk about exactly the same phenomenon, which then become taps on a keyboard because I wrote this script and I'm reading it now. They then become illuminated as pixels on the screen and then they become words that I am speaking. So the neurons become light, which then become sound waves. And then they have to get transmitted somehow to you. So become electrical signals in a computer system and a different kind of light yet again as they travel through optic fibers, all encoded as a sequence of zeros and ones, or rather the presence or absence of light and electrical potentials when it is transmitted to your computer and routed through many others we call the internet. And eventually, well, it ends up once again as electricity and magnetic forces 
in your computer, causing the vibration of a thing called a speaker somewhere near your ear that vibrates the air so you can hear it because your eardrum is vibrating and all of that is converted back into a chemical electrical signal along your auditory nerve to your brain where it gets interpreted once again. Moreover, Knowledge more broadly can be represented in objects like books or objects like a telescope, which instantiates the knowledge of how to collect, focus and magnify light from objects to form an image. Or another example I like recently is a bridge which instantiates knowledge about a part of engineering physics called statics so that the thing remains up especially something complex like a suspension bridge. That takes a lot of highly explicit explanations of things like classic Newtonian physics and geology and material science and chemistry and so it goes. You may want to be able to explain to people, should they ask, why this thing, this suspension bridge, should stay up. At that point, you don't have to rest upon trusting that it will or confidence that it will or your belief that it will. Rather, it's about the presence of a set of good explanations that anyone, if they really wanted to, could check and would be able to understand. You can know, which is to say understand, that engineers also know what they're doing and understand the relevant physics. And the engineers who build the bridge know that the geologists who say the rock foundations are strong and are not going to shift have good explanations themselves. And everyone knows that the material scientists and chemists can explain why the steel of which the structure is made won't corrode too soon, or not before the processes that are used to slow all this take effect. Everyone knows that things do decay, errors happen, so maintenance needs to be done just in time and regularly. This is error correction, all because we know that there exist good explanations of modern bridge building. The bridge itself contains knowledge and if a spacefaring alien visited Earth from a planet which was purely gas and every city they ever knew floated and bridges like ours were utterly unknown to them because nothing ever had to be anchored to the solid crust of a terrestrial planet because they're not coming from a terrestrial planet and they hadn't really thought through what it would be like to live on a terrestrial planet. They could, even if no one was there to explain to them, reverse engineer the bridge and extract from it the knowledge we had about all those things I mentioned from material science through to Newtonian physics to understand and therefore explain exactly what it was for. The knowledge really is in the bridge. Not written as words or symbols, but literally in the relationships between the beams and cables of the roadway and the pylons and so on and so forth. <sighs> That's some substrate independence. And so too, as I say, with my conveying all of this from here to wherever you are right now. The knowledge I have gets to you by going through all those different kinds of materials represented in everything from light and sound through to electricity and magnetism and even chemicals inside of your brain. But it's the same knowledge, modulo errors, and modulo your different interpretations of my intentions. So that is what knowledge is about. At no point, you will notice, did I refer to psychology, human minds and their emotions of certainty or belief or confidence. Our proverbial aliens, reverse engineering the bridge, extracted out explanations of physics and material science that humans would have used to construct the thing. But they do not extract out our confidence and belief. They extract theories of science. At no point do they need to refer to our confidence. They refer instead to how people understood physics as they can and do likely a lot better than what we do because 
They crossed a galaxy in a spacecraft far more advanced than anything we've got. In short, the knowledge people have about physics and bridge building is just that. Physics and bridge building. Psychology and emotion is there, but only as intention. The people hoped one day to cross some water or a chasm more quickly than what they could without the bridge. They intended to do so and made a choice to build a bridge, and then they had a new choice available to them. Use the bridge rather than rowing across the water. Hope and intention got the project going, but from there on, motivation drove them. But it was objective, rational science they applied, knowledge of the physical world. To check the knowledge was a genuine good explanation required no emotions. We leave emotion out of it. And just by the way, aliens would be people too, just like humans are people. AGI, artificial general intelligence, would be people. People are the entities that create explanations. No other system creates new explanations. People have problems uniquely, and we solve them uniquely. That is our defining characteristic. A cat may have a problem of being hungry, but it slavishly follows its instincts. It seeks out food and it eats. If there's no food in its house, it's stuck. It can't open the door, it can't call for help, nothing. Its repertoire of possible behaviours is bounded utterly by its programming, its genetic code, its instincts. A person, on the other hand, may have the problem of being hungry but actively avoid food because they are obese and choose not to eat as they are dieting and realise eating more is not good for them despite their hunger. An anorexic person may have an explanation, completely false, that their hunger is a false signal, given their actually incorrect theory, that they are obese when they are not. People routinely defy their instincts. Cats and dogs and all other animals never go through this kind of thing, conjecturing new ideas about the world, anything about the world. Only people do. A person who runs out of food understands they can buy more food. They can call a delivery service, just leave their house and talk to someone and ask for food. The possibilities are quite literally unbounded and not contained in their genetic code. Their mind creates new ones as soon as the old ones fail. The ideas that succeed are typically remembered. They are information that works to solve a problem. They constitute knowledge. Perhaps not perfect, never perfect, but definitely worth remembering, copying in other words, until a better idea comes along to replace it. And even then we sometimes remember the old idea because it's still useful in certain situations. Whatever the problem is, we can begin generating guesses. Whatever the problem is, that makes us universal. Universal in our capacity to have problems and to respond to them. Often we fail, but invariably we also make progress as Sometimes we succeed. All of this taken together leads to David Deutsch's deep insight. People are universal explainers. This is in addition to that other kind of universality where whatever the physical process is can be simulated to arbitrary accuracy by a universal computer. That's called the universality of computation. And one set of physical processes that can be simulated by a computer is what a brain does. So in theory, what a brain does can be simulated by a universal computer. What our mind adds to this is that the physical processes can be modeled and comprehended in principle by a person. 
The denial of this just says that some things are incomprehensible. And that's isomorphic with the claim that the mind of the literal God of the Abrahamic religions, for example, who is an omniscient being, is literally incomprehensible. In other words, an appeal to the supernatural. Some rationalists who deny a belief in God nonetheless endorse the notion that some things are beyond the comprehension of people. They swap God for X, where X is just some other incomprehensible thing. In other words, they endorse the supernatural, but just with a slight name change from God to X, their favoured incomprehensible thing, like aliens or superintelligence or the successor theory to quantum theory, whatever it happens to be. But David Deutsch's conception introduces people into this picture as knowledge or explanation creators. So let me reintroduce emotion now for the purposes of decision-making, as this is one place where some people do get stuck with my exposition of this kind of thing. How do we make decisions? Especially in making decisions where we don't have a good explanation, because yes, sometimes we don't have a good explanation. If you have a good explanation, then you act on it. Perhaps you want to decide where to build a house. One choice is a low-lying flat area. You make the decision not to build the house there because it's prone to floods. Good explanation, logically derived prediction, reasonable decision. You build instead at a higher altitude somewhere. No emotions required here, except perhaps appreciation of the beauty of the place and that kind of thing. It is rational, and all your decisions are explained by good explanations. Even good explanations about things like, you love this particular peaceful and friendly community. You want to build a house near it. Emotions like that are also included in our conception of good explanations. But yes, it's true, sometimes we lack a good explanation. Or I should say, a good explicit explanation. You cannot write down exactly what you feel good or bad about. It's inexplicit. Inexplicit knowledge is a thing. If you have a bad feeling about something, but aren't quite sure why, that can be a kind of knowledge. Intuitions can be a kind of knowledge. All knowledge, explicit or not, is prone to containing errors. Indeed, it all does contain misconceptions because correcting the misconceptions allows for progress to happen. Were there no errors ever to correct in some domain, nothing would need to ever change. So your intuition can also be wrong. We should know this. Moreover, unlike with explicit explanations, it can be much harder to check errors in your intuition as they're difficult to communicate. That's the nature of the inexplicit, but it does not mean they should be ignored. Intuitions, I mean. All knowledge actually contains some inexplicit content. Only a small fraction is explicit good explanations. But intuitions are real. We all have emotions. But some people rate their emotions as being strong and some not so strong. What you experience as terrifying I may not. What you experience as slightly happy, I may experience as a deep joy. We can't communicate our emotions easily by saying how strong they feel to us. Because how you feel and how I feel may be very different, like the age-old conundrum of whether the blue sky we are both looking at looks the same to us. This is the problem of qualia. We have them, we cannot describe them. They are the subjective contents of objective things, like wavelength of light, which is how physics quantifies and explains colour from the objective side of things. No reference to the content of minds, no reference to psychology is needed. 
but there is a world of subjective experience, how colours look and how feelings feel. You may have an intuition that a particular neighbourhood is not safe. There are cues, graffiti on walls, broken windows, young men of a certain age wearing a certain kind of clothing. That's all quite explicit, but even if you could explain all of that away, you still have the heebie-jeebies for some reason. But that doesn't prevent your intuition and explicit ideas from being completely mistaken. Maybe, unlikely perhaps, but maybe it's a perfectly nice community that's just been through a rough time with a natural disaster, and so your intuition is misfiring. Perhaps everyone in this derelict community is actually very nice, and indeed it's a perfectly safe place now. In any case, you cannot quantify with a number using some measuring device your level of discomfort. You can try and rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, but your rating tells me nothing about the objective situation. Your scale for your rating of your level of discomfort could be completely different to mine. Maybe you're just a particularly fearful person, or maybe you're unusually used to such neighbourhoods and not scared at all when in fact you should be. So that is the place of emotions. If we don't have a good explanation, we might rely on them, but we cannot quantify them. Our fears and hopes are very subjective, and knowledge in the main is not about fear or hope or certainty. But if we need to make a decision, then it's black and white. Either we have a good explanation to act on, or we do not. And if we do not, then we just don't know. And it's fine to say, we don't know. If you want to invest in a company, you might not know, indeed you will not know, how it's going to perform in the future. Because the future is unknowable. But you can know, which is to say, have good explanations of the company itself and the culture of the company, who the people are, the CEO, the team, the workers, their ethic and their products. That is knowledge and can inform your decision. But beyond that, you don't know. And rationally, it shouldn't come down to just a vibe. A vibe is a kind of inexplicit knowledge. Maybe you have that when it comes to people. Some people, of course, do seem a bit dodgy. Are they cranks? Are they trying to swindle you? Are they lying? Those are intuitions. Inexplicit knowledge you should take seriously. You might be wrong, but it might be a reason to take due diligence even further and investigate more. What is the history of the CEO? Was his last company in trouble for breaking the law? That's more explicit knowledge that could be useful for you in making a decision. And again, we're not then relying purely on guesswork here and emotion to make a decision about investing or not. It's not about confidence, but knowledge and good explanations. It's not about just feeling good or feeling bad, but knowledge. Even the decision about who to marry or spend your life with or who your friends are is not all just about feelings. Of course love's a feeling, the most valuable one perhaps, but that you love your family and friends is knowledge itself. You're not confident you love your family and friends, you know you do. It's explicit knowledge about a subjective emotion. There's no contradiction here, but it's true. Some people think all of knowledge is about emotions like this. Feelings. Feelings that serve not just a peripheral, but a central role, especially in decision making. Some think that knowledge is less about explanations and more about predictions. They are obsessed by trying to guess what the future will bring and trying to distill epistemology into a kind of decision engine. That is the purpose of knowledge, for example, under Bayesianism, and in a sense why Bayesianism is so popular nowadays. People are very, very animated. Some seem to be obsessed 
with trying to guess what the future will bring. They call it forecasting or predicting, but it's prophecy. It is a guess about the future made in the absence of a good explanation. After all, anyone who has a good explanation just explains that good explanation. And then we all go, ah, okay, I get it, that makes sense. Like a physicist who predicts that when you drop a rock out a particular window, it's going to take precisely 3.2 seconds to hit the ground below. That's a prediction. But when human choice is involved, and human choice is determined by human creativity, things become inherently unpredictable. It's just not like physics and dropping rocks out of windows. Sure, all things that happen anywhere ever must be consistent with the laws of physics. But that is a vacuous truism which applies to any physical process that happens anywhere, anytime. All physical processes are computable, we've already said that. But knowing that some computer somewhere, sometime, could in principle be constructed to emulate the workings of the human brain down to the motion of individual electrons does nothing to enable us to predict what that brain would do next, what it would compute, what it would explain. For to simulate such a brain would be to be a mind. A simulation of a mind is a mind. In the same way that simulating the process of addition or multiplication is to actually add or multiply. There is no distance between simulating an abstract process and the process itself. And to simulate something actually creative would be to be something actually creative and thus rule out the possibility of predicting what it would do. Which is another reason why the doomers, especially the AGI or superintelligence doomers, who attempt to do psychology on such systems, have it all backwards. We cannot predict the output of a creative entity, a person in other words, except in one sense. We can reliably predict or say that it will do the unexpected. Humans, adults, teenagers, children, alien intelligence and AGI all share the same quality. We can predict they will do the entirely unexpected and unpredictable. We can never say precisely what they will do. They are creative and we cannot know what choices they will invent on the spot, much less decide to make. Look, we can't even know what we ourselves will choose to do in a few hours from now, given we do not know exactly the state of the world we will occupy in a few hours from now, necessitating us to change our own plans. We are knowledge creators the most cosmically significant entities in the universe. And we are that precisely because the knowledge we create flies free of our minds and transforms physical reality. It is the abstract catalyst, a constructor of matter, turning much of it into resources. And the more matter we control and resources we have, the more wealth we have and thus the more powerful we become, able to solve our problems and protect civilization and our lives thus illuminating the darkness of space, here enlightening it, a brightness in the implacable darkness. To riff upon J.R.R. Tolkien, knowledge is a spark to rekindle light when other lights go out.